Well, um, what's up, everyone? After uh, getting hassled by a lot more people than I thought I would about bringing more episodes back, I think now is a good time to try at least one since this topic has come up quite a bit and I think the main reason we started this whole thing was to stop repeating ourselves and we can just like refer people to good information, right? Um, so apologies, you know, we all have some stuff going on. The podcast, and this is exactly what I thought would happen, right? We, I knew like a podcast is a ton of work. Um, we had recorded eight episodes in that first season, I think, and it was a pretty, you know, we came hot out of the gate. We had some great guests, but I think always the biggest thing that I know or have heard about maintaining or running a podcast is just constantly getting new guests on or having the time to carve out new material, which we didn't keep up with. Um, and then COVID definitely made that more difficult too. It's tough to like get people in. Um, so I think really good podcasts are done in person. I think over Skype and Zoom, it can definitely happen, but it's a lot harder to create that rapport and to get a really good conversation flowing. There's a little bit of a gap. You're not in the same room with them. Uh, there isn't, it's hard to feel a vibe, right? Maybe like VR will change a little bit of that. So maybe the Zuck will uh, come through with some, some fucking VR meta stuff. But this episode, and I think a lot of the future ones, if we even do them, it'll be me just deep diving and nerding out on a lot of really useful information. Uh, it's easier to do that way. I think we definitely have some guests that we could have in person that are really interesting and very informative. This one right now is gonna be a deep dive on all things cold exposure. And this only came up because I've probably had to explain the benefits of some cold exposure to a few people in the last like week alone. So we sent out, you know, another like informative email to the Alpha Brew crew. And I think even then a lot of people, you know, people just have different methods and medias in which they consume information. So this one is obviously a very easy one for anyone commuting, anyone's like at the gym or just walking around, getting stuff done around the house. You can listen to this one. Maybe we'll make a quick video on it. But man, cold exposure, I think a lot of people already know why like the cold showers and the cold exposure is good but just like many things you may have been like victim of this or you know been the person to tell someone a piece of advice or information and it, like your significant other or one of your friends and they never follow through with it until some random person tells them the same exact thing and they're like oh yeah so-and-so gave me this great advice lately and they started doing it and you're like dude i've been telling you that for years like what what the fuck, you know? So maybe me ranting and doing some deep dives to convince you to start doing some cold exposure, if you already haven't, I'm hoping this is that catalyst, right? So I think Wim Hof made cold exposure really popular um, and for great reasons. He's kind of changed what we know about human physiology and science. But Let's get into this, some deep dives and nerd out on why cold exposure is so good, right? And there's different types of cold exposure. Obviously, like the, the sexiest one is cryotherapy, where you either kind of jump into a small chamber where your head is exposed and like liquid nitrogen fills the air. Um, it's really cold. 
to usually two to three minutes um, or like the best ones for cryo are like an entire kind of like meat locker that you step into that way your head your entire body is surrounded by that that really really cold air for two or three minutes right that's not quite accessible for all of us you know it takes time to go find those places it costs a good amount of money it can cost like anywhere from like 100 to 200 dollars for one session so the more accessible version of that is maybe an ice bath right just a whole tub of ice grab a few bags from the grocery store dump that thing in some cold water in the tub and just slide on in and you know sit there for anywhere from like three to like maybe 15 minutes pushing the envelope basically until you're about to get like hyperthermic get like really cold get some actually like shivering thermogenesis right we're like we're actually shivering involuntarily to create body heat um but then the even more accessible version of some cold exposure is simply a cold shower right and think about the science of this cryotherapy is great the temperature at which they have to like cool the air around you um to create like the same kind of effect it gets pretty damn cold um but when we talk about you know the conductivity of the air around you versus like direct contact like with liquid liquid conducts heat or cold like 27 times more efficiently than heating or cooling the air around you so it's far easier it's far more efficient to be in like a liquid to cool your body down or heat it up as opposed to having air around you okay so a cryo chamber can go from like negative 160 to like negative 220 fahrenheit to get like a real good cold exposure but for to be in like a cold shower where that liquid conducts temperature, heat, or cold much better, you can get simply just get down to like a 50 degree shower, right? Pretty cold water, um, but it's much easier and more efficient. And everybody, you know, has access to a shower. We hopefully, you know, probably take a shower every day. So for this, we'll be talking about cold showers and cold baths. So one of the biggest ones, the biggest benefits that we talk about with cold exposure is literally just burning fat. And when we say burning fat, we don't even mean just like burning calories because you're colder and you're, you know, it's like your body like wants to maintain homeostasis and keep the same body temperature. That does happen, right? But the biggest thing is that humans and you know, most animals have this adipose tissue called brown fat or beige fat more recently. And when you're a baby, you're born with a ton of brown fat, right? Brown fat is able to burn fat, but also like build muscle. So more recently, humans are thought to have more beige than brown. Um, but when we talk about like brown versus white fat, white fat is simply like able to store uh, triglycerides and fatty acids. Brown fat can burn fatty acids and it can like help, help in, like, increase muscle. Um, and brown fat is significantly increased with cold exposure, right? So there was a study where they took um, mostly healthy young men, they exposed them to the cold at like 65 degrees Fahrenheit for two hours a day for 20 days and found that brown fat volume increased by 45%. Um, and the total oxidative metabolism increased by like twofold. So like their brown fat, the brown fat activity pretty much over doubled and the volume of brown fat that they had increased by 45%. This is huge. This is great for 
being able to burn fat more efficiently and create more muscle. And like, think about this, right? Like when you were like eight years old, dude, you could have like 20 pixie sticks of sugar, two Big Macs, a whole pizza, and a giant two liter of soda, and you wouldn't even gain a pound, right? You were just, you had so much brown fat. And we, when we get older, we lose brown fat. So then that begs the question is, well, if you're older, can you even get that back? The answer is yes, amazingly enough, right? Even with people who had pretty much no brown fat, an older population of people who had no brown fat, um, they exposed them to cold, um, again, like two hours of cold at like 68 degrees. And right now, so it's December when we're recording this, right? My, my apartment is 55 because I'm in full dad mode and I don't have to turn the heat on, right? So even thinking about just being in a colder environment in the winter for only two hours, either like 68 degrees Fahrenheit, increased um, their fat burning, their thermogenesis by 58%, you know, as opposed to the baseline that was exposed to like regular heat. And they lost about one and a half pounds um, over the course of this study for like two weeks. Um, so even if you are older and you have less brown fat, you can quickly regain that brown fat. When they found um, insulin sensitivity, your body's ability to metabolize, you know, carbohydrates basically was able to, you know, increase by 43%. And then the uptake of carbohydrates, glucose into the muscle significantly increased as well. So, you know, the association of increased brown fat is also like lower LDL, lower overall cholesterol, lower prevalence of hypertension, lower type two diabetes and heart failure. And that's independent of age, sex and body fat. After like, you know, doing the math to take out those variables, they all still go down. It's, it's pretty impressive. It, this stuff is like almost cheating where every trainer, nutritionist, uh, fitness expert out there will be like, you can't, you just have to do hard work. You know, this is like, well, man, I mean, this is like almost the ultimate cheat that can get you to burn more fat, build more muscle, right? And it doesn't end there. Reason number two, improved immune function. When cold exposure increases certain populations, we have like different types of immune cells. Cold exposure increases both certain types of immune cells and white blood cell count in the body. And what does that mean? That just means we're getting sick less if we're improving immune function, right? And one study they did is that they took people who are absolute psychos because they swim outside in the winter they, at least once a week comparative to just people who don't swim at all, right? One observation they noticed in those who swam outside at least once a week in this freezing water was 40% less respiratory tract infections. So like less gnarly colds. And you you know, that old school theory is like, oh, if you're out in the cold, you're gonna get a cold. It blows out of the water. I think, you know, a lot of us know that by now, it's just the accumulation of more germs being inside in the winter. You know, being outside, these cold swimmers are getting 40% less respiratory tract infections, which is pretty amazing. Reason number three, uh, increasing antioxidant enzymes in the body, right? So specifically when we talk about fitness and we're working out, you have some byproducts of energy metabolism known as like ROS, reactive oxygen species, right? There's byproducts of inflammation, right? So too much reactive oxygen species can cause levels of muscle damage, fatigue, uh, immune dysfunction, damage to DNA, and a de decrease like what we call cell senescence or like cell growth, right? So 
not great. When, when we work out, we definitely have acute moments of inflammation for like an, an hour or two, hopefully, uh, because we want that inflammation, especially during like strength and conditioning training, intense exercise, because we want the inflammation because we want muscle repair and growth to happen. And then our body tends to, you know, instinctively decrease that inflammation because if it goes too long, that's when damage happens, right? Cold exposure for, for cryo, for like three minutes of cryo, was shown to increase uh, glutathione, which is like this master, you may have heard of it, like the master antioxidant. You know, it's the most abundant one that we have in the body. Um, it's kind of like the grandfather of antioxidants. Um, our liver uses a ton of it, produces it. Anytime you have a hard end of drinking, you deplete glutathione in your liver, which really contributes to like a hangover feeling. Um, and then it increased glutathione by 68%, which is insane. And then it also increased another antioxidant enzyme called superoxide dismutase, which actively fights the, that reactive oxygen species by 36%. Huge numbers here, right? So reason number four, exercise capacity. So again, dude, the, like this stuff is like, it's just, it still hasn't hit, like it's starting to get into the mainstream, but people just simply really don't understand how insanely beneficial cold exposure is because now we're talking about increasing exercise capacity simply through cold exposure. We're talking about like, you know, enhancing the effects of exercise just by being cold. So when you have cold exposure, you're something called mitochondrial biogenesis, right? And you, if you remember from like sixth grade junior high or high school biology, the mitochondria is like that powerhouse of the cell. It's what, you know, is completely responsible for the entire like energy processes from like ATP into ADP, et cetera. Now, when we have cold exposure, we cause mitochondrial biogenesis, which means we're making more mitochondria. That's insane. And they, one of the studies they actually used to deduce this was they took athletes and they, they took one leg and they dipped it into some freezing water, right? And then they measured both legs and they measured proteins responsible for creating new mitochondria. Mitochondrial biogenesis was associated and it was found, it's associated with like increased aerobic capacity and performance, but it was shown to be highly increased in that leg, that one leg post exercise that was dipped in the freezing water. Like that's, that's insane. You're literally talking about cheating basically by like being able to get more benefits of exercise, be able to perform better simply by being in the cold. And here's where it gets, it starts to get really wild, right? Cold exposure, improving gut health for metabolism. So it's like, not only will it, you know, produce some antioxidant enzymes that are good for you, you know, it can burn some fat. We're talking about improving gut health. So they took mice, exposed them to cold. They found that their gut microbiome was altered to enhance what we call non-shivering thermogenesis. Their insulin sensitivity, again, their ability to metabolize carbohydrates improved that allowed them to burn more carbs and fats. Crazy. You're literally changing your gut microbiome, which like we talked about earlier uh, and, you know, cold exposure and, you know, also improving uh, immune function. This is tied to hand in hand because the immune function is largely in the gut microbiome, right? 
So it is not a surprise, but it starts to get crazy at like, and how many things cold exposure can affect the body in a positive way. Here's the biggest one. And this one's a little bit, a little bit absurd. Um, this was, um, people that they exposed to like 60 degree water, which is pretty cold, right? Like a 70 degree Fahrenheit pool is pretty cold. 60 degrees is like, yeah, like maybe the Northeast ocean, like in July might be like 60 degrees. Like you get in there like, oof, like it's a, it's a big, like pretty good, like refreshing, like cold water. You get used to it, but you got to keep moving around. They took people, put them in the water for two hours. It increased norepinephrine, adrenaline by 530%, five, over five fold increase in adrenaline. And to give you, I was like, okay, how much is that really? What does that really mean? To give you a comparison to how much 530% is, they gave uh, some people a rock star energy drink, right? 240 milligrams of caffeine, uh, two grams of taurine, which is a good amount, um, and like a few other things like milk thistle, et cetera. But, you know, mostly 240 milligrams of caffeine increased norepinephrine release by 74%. So cold exposure, right? Cold water exposure was able to increase adrenaline four times more than an energy drink. If you've done this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've done a cold shower even once, dude, when you're done, you feel like a Viking berserker. You have like lightning coming through your fingertips, right? So, you know, even a cold shower at like 50-ish degrees for five minutes can easily be like drinking an energy drink instantly in terms of like the adrenaline that you get, right? And we'll come back to this um, a, a little bit later and why norepinephrine is very beneficial, right, for the brain and the body. The next one is decreasing inflammation. And this is a little bit of a, of a tricky topic, but they had athletes who underwent a few minutes of cryotherapy post-training. They had four times lower, um, specifically what we call C-reactive protein, which is very easy to check uh, in blood work, it's one of like the general markers that we look for for overall systemic inflammation in the body. C-reactive protein, if you can dig through like your old lab results, it might be um, like CRP or C-RP, C-reactive protein. So they had three minutes of cryotherapy post-training. They had a four times lower C-reactive protein readings 24 hours later as opposed to the group that kind of just did nothing, right? So not only that, 72 hours later, that group that got the cryotherapy, their C-reactive protein were like returned back to their baseline level pre-cryotherapy. The other group that didn't do really anything, they still had elevated uh, C-reactive protein. So not only like for 24 hours, you have four times lower inflammation systemically in the body, with some cold exposure after uh, training, even 72 hours later, when you were, you know, when that when that C-reactive protein comes back to normal, that other group, like if you hadn't done that, they still have elevated. So it's like quite the inverse. It's really interesting. And then there's also other like inflammatory cytokines that we have, like IL-1, IL-10. IL just means interleukin. IL-1, IL-10, and IL-6 which are all anti-inflammatory, we see an increase in anti-inflammatory cytokines as well as a decrease 
in, uh, in inflammatory cytokines like IL-2, IL-8, and TNF-alpha. So all around, we just see like a really great decrease of inflammation. When we look at mood and depression, cold exposure is a key, like norepinephrine release is a key player in mood and cognitive enhancing effects of cold exposure. So norepinephrine is a transmitter. It's involved in like vigilance, focus, attention, mood. When you get that adrenaline, you like you can get dialed in, right? So generally, lower norepinephrine activity is associated with like inattention, decreased focus and cognitive ability, low energy and poor mood. So when we talk about like a pharmacological depletion of norepinephrine can lead to depression. That's why we will see like norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors being used for ADHD and depression, but they, they carry some risks, right? It's like there is no biological free lunch, especially when it comes to, you know, pharmacy type drugs. So when we look at a study, they took adults who had been diagnosed with depression, they underwent 10 cryotherapy sessions they showed marked reductions in depressive symptoms and improved quality of life, improved mood, um, disease acceptance, uh, which is a very good sign that like whole body cryotherapy is good for mental well-being and quality of life. Also, um, 68 degree cold shower for two to three minutes um, can relieve depressive symptoms in studies, even when it's done like once a day over several weeks. So just market increases in improvements in depression from some cold exposure. Brain function. So we have these things in our brains, synapses. They're basically like conduits for how motor function signals, transmitters come across the brain. When we look at normal brain aging and also accelerated neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's or traumatic brain, traumatic, traumatic brain injury, we see a synapse loss that occurs, right? So as we get older, we lose some synapses. If we have some TBI, um, have Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, we definitely see some synapse loss. So one study is they took some mice they cooled their body temp, similar to that of animals that do hibernate because mice don't hibernate. They lowered their temperature to hibernating animals and then they saw a promotion of synapses reassembling and then also what's called a RBM3, um, which stands for RNA binding motif protein. So a protein in the brain was increased, RBM3 got increased with cold exposure, right? In the same study, and that RBM3 uh, persisted and it stayed elevated for several weeks when they gave them multiple cold exposures, right? So once they gave multiple cold exposures, that RBM3, that's responsible for um, reassembling and increasing synapses in the brain, they stayed elevated for several weeks, right? The same study, they took mice predisposed to having Alzheimer's disease, they found that they actually lost the ability to upregulate RBM3, and they lost the ability to reassemble synapses. So the upregulation of RBM3 in mice promoted like the ability to protect those synapses in the long-term effect, which prevented behavioral deficits and neuronal loss. So even with so this is kind of like a great sign when they took mice predisposed to Alzheimer's, you know, they 
they lowered the temperature and were able to like basically delay synapse loss. Now, it's a good sign for humans. One good in vitro study, like in like a lab dish type study with human astrocytes, a type of brain cell, they found that decreasing the temperature from like 37 Celsius to 35 Celsius also activated RBM3. So in human brain cells, you can activate that RBM3 that will reassemble synapses in your brain, right? That we lose as we get older and through some other stuff, they do increase with a like a fairly good temperature decrease, right? Back to muscle growth on cold exposure. So we want to be careful, right? Because if we have like a strength training session, the general consensus now is, listen, we want to have that post-workout acute inflammation. We want that to happen because we want to, that's why we were working out in the first place. So we want to maybe wait a little bit is like the one suggestion. If you have like a hard training session that you, you know, actually want to be able to benefit from, have some good muscle repair, um, we want to wait a little bit, like at least an hour to do some cold exposure. So one study was they had one group did cold water immersion and one group just did active recovery post-workout. The cold water immersion after resistance training actually kind of stopped long-term gains in muscle and strength, right? It kind of halted that. Um, so the active recovery uh, started, that group started active recovery within five minutes completing a training session. And then that group saw both like both groups did see an increase in muscle mass, but the active recovery group actually gained more muscle mass than the people who had cold water immersion post-training. So, you know, that's still a benefit. You can still gain some muscle mass, but if you just do some active recovery, you're far better off, right? Just waiting to do some cold exposure immediately post-workout. So the thing is the big difference is there is, let's say you're a competitive athlete and you wanna get a training session in if you're if you're in season maybe you're not looking to gain more but you just want to recover quickly for that next training session or that game or that competition that you have the next day or soon coming up the cold exposure is fine right but if you're like maybe in the off season you're looking to gain more strength gain more muscle gain more speed maybe wait a little bit before wait at least an hour before you do some cold exposure all right or do it before you do it before your training um, one of the last ones is a lot of people are anecdotally reporting higher testosterone from cold exposure. The literature doesn't yet support this. If anything, it finds quite the opposite. So um, measuring blood work and testosterone post cold exposure, it actually looks like testosterone goes down. Um, luteinizing hormone goes up. So, you know, that's not a terrible thing, but testosterone seems to go down. But the real kicker here is, right, it's not just a linear thing, um, especially when it comes to sex, hor sex hormones. It's a very, very complex concert um, because if testosterone goes down, maybe even just temporarily post-cold exposure, all of the things that we talked about, increased glucose sensitivity, um, you know, increased you know, anti-inflammatory markers, 
all of those things improving can easily in the long term, maybe like 24 hours post-cold exposure can still end up causing an increase in testosterone. But the literature just isn't there yet. I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I, I would be willing to guess once they do conduct a study measuring blood work, you know, five minutes post-cold exposure, one hour, 12 hours, 24, 48, that you will see um, an increase in testosterone over time. Because there are plenty of people anecdotally taking blood work, you know, before and after. And these are all correlates, right? Like they're also doing some other great things. They're intermittent fasting and they're sleeping more. They're doing a lot of the right things and they're doing cold exposure. Um, but it, you know, anecdotally, it does seem to go up. But I will say this, you know, the drastic increase of fat loss alone will increase leptin. Leptin will increase uh, muscle. The more muscle you're going to carry, the less fat you carry, the more favorable your testosterone and your sex hormone profile will look. So indirectly, it's going to probably increase testosterone. It's going to put you in a better body composition, you know, to overall have higher testosterone. But the literature itself does not support like a direct increase in testosterone. There's probably an even more exhausting list of why cold exposure is so good. But let's like start with how can you get started? And a lot of people, I think one of the biggest benefits of these cold showers is mentally doing something that you do not want to do. That's really hard, right? You have a lot of people on Instagram who are like, you know, they post like a photo of them working out and they're like, yeah, doing the hard things, like just showing up and doing it, you know, that's how you get better. And it's like, that's true. But for most of us who like to work out, we like to work out. Working out is not hard. Like, me doing something that I don't like to do is like cleaning my bathroom. That's fucking hard, right? So a cold shower is very, is it like a, a level of discomfort most of us aren't used to? I would just start off like take a hot shower, turn the dial to cool water for 30 seconds, turn it back to warm for a minute, slowly turn it back a little bit cooler for 30 seconds, right? You start to get used to that, that discomfort. And then next thing you know, you could probably start on like a shower on cool and then slowly work that knob a little bit like colder, right? Get that dialed in a little bit colder every minute until next thing you know, the, the water's pretty cold. So it doesn't take much. Do you need it every day? No, but you can work up to it every day if you, if you are so inclined, right? It doesn't take much, even just a few times a week is super beneficial. Three to five minutes would be fantastic, but you can always work up to that. Just like increasing the length of the cold exposure and you know, like, going back and forth between cold and hot is what we typically call contrast showers, which for decades we've known is to decrease soreness, right? So we've known this stuff, but the science is finally catching up with it. So that's the deep dive for the week. Maybe we'll do maybe one every week. Um, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, but hopefully you got some good stuff out of that. Hopefully it convinces you like how incredibly beneficial and how systemic and how encompassing uh, and beneficial it is to do some cold exposure. See you guys.